is God's word. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdol, at Tapanhes, at Memphis, and in the land of Pathros, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger in that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offering to their other gods. Therefore my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now... Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant? Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live so that you may be cut off and become a curse and a taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They have not humbled themselves, even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm. To cut off all Judah, I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall. By the sword and by famine they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt, shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return to dwell there, for they shall not return except some fugitives. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by, a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not Listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed, making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything. And have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, When we made offerings to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, As for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, your officials, and the people of the land, Did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? 
The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have made to make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no longer be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, as the Lord God lives. Behold, I'm watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, in order that you may know that my word shall, will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. We end our reading there from God's word, Jeremiah 44. Again, the book of Jeremiah is not arranged in order of what happened first, second, third. Instead, it's arranged by topic or theme. So chronologically, Chapter 44 contains the last words of Jeremiah. Chapter 45 is written earlier, so we'll study that, Lord willing. Chapters 46 and following are announcements of judgments on the nations that happened earlier. So this is a nice place for the summary of Jeremiah's message on on the whole. The whole point of Jeremiah's preaching ministry. The whole point of Jeremiah chapter 44 is that the words of Jeremiah to the people down in Egypt is they must listen to the Lord God through his word. They should not have come down to Egypt. They should not be trusting in Egypt. They should think and behave like the people of God. Therefore, they should repent, go back home to the land that God gave them, and seek God. The core lesson is transferable to believers in every generation. It's summarized in my title, Not of This World, And explained further in my main point, the Lord reminds us we're not of this world and calls us to listen to him. Point number one, some people never listen, verses 1 through 19. Point number two, yet another call to listen is given, verses 20 to 24. And then third point, verses 25 to the end, those who listen will know whose word will stand. We go through our story, verse 1, a group of God's people were runaways to Egypt and took Jeremiah with them, so God spoke to them one more time through Jeremiah. Verse 2, God started with a quick lesson of history. Remember how Jerusalem fell? And all the people could simply say, yeah, it was Babylon attacking us. No. Take note from verse 2 
that the attacking Babylonians are not even mentioned. Why? Because God's making a point that he was the driving force himself. Yeah, he used Babylon like his weapon, but it was God who caused the fall of Jerusalem. These words in verse 2, the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem. Why? Seriously, you're asking why? I mean, four decades of Jeremiah preaching. If you need a reminder, God is so patient and merciful, he gives yet another reminder right here, a review in verse 3, because of the evil that they committed. What evil? Idolatry. It comes down to a first commandment issue. Have no other gods before me. They did have other gods. Verse 3, they went to make offerings and serve other gods. What did God do about it? He sent prophets. Persistently is the word, according to verse 4. But what was the response? Verse 5, they did not listen. They stayed in their idolatry. Verse 6, God poured out his anger on the city. The, the idea here is, don't miss it, over a long period of time, God kept sending his prophets. Over a long period of time, the people didn't listen. That needs to be understood as the backdrop. They were obstinate, stubborn, and disobedient. Why would this pattern be being drawn out now by Jeremiah in his last speech? Because yet even now, our merciful God is urging the repentance of the people. It reminds us of the book of Joel, where the army of the Lord is coming, and he says that the head of his army is the Lord himself, and he says, yet even now, turn to me in repentance. Comes out in verse 7, the history lesson from Jerusalem is presented, and now it's applied. Now thus says the Lord, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves. Won't you learn your lesson from history? Didn't you just come from Jerusalem? Do you not make any application to yourself of what just happened in Jerusalem? Verse 8, God asked them, why do you provoke God to anger by worshiping gods in Egypt when you move there? Verse 9, he asked them, have you forgotten the evil of your fathers? Verse 10, he reminded them their fathers didn't humble themselves, they didn't fear God, they didn't walk in God's laws that he had set before them. God is a covenant God, And he keeps his covenant. Your fathers were covenant breakers, and so God, per the covenant, destroyed them. Are you sure you don't want to listen to him, fear him, obey him? Verse 11, okay, fine. It's necessary and predictable then, God told them, I will set my face against you for harm. It's just how it works. Verse 12, even the remaining few called the remnant will be consumed by sword and famine and not just the leaders but every single person from the least person to the greatest person. Each one has sinned. Each one will die. They will be under God's anger and curse. Each one will become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. Verse 13, God makes it so clear. I quote, I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, famine, and pestilence. Verse 14, how far will God go? God will keep going until none of the remnant has escaped or survived except maybe some fugitives. This speech, so far, reminds us of another time in biblical history when the message of God was so clear and should have been so convicting. And it was in this instance, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down, the apostle Peter preaches to the people the explanation of what just happened. What does it mean that this Holy Spirit has come? He preached to the people that they had crucified Jesus. Their reaction, they were humbled. They turned to God in repentance. That's how it's supposed to work. But not here. Not here in Jeremiah 44. How did the people respond to this crystal clear, convicting message of God to them about their guilt? Verse 15, the idolaters gathered. 
They're going to give an answer. Official answer as a group to Jeremiah in verse 15. Verse 16, here comes the answer. The men said to Jeremiah, As for the word that you've spoken to us, in the name of the Lord, so they're saying it not just to Jeremiah, but also to God, they say this, We will not listen. Doesn't a shudder go down your spine? Of just being reminded by God that he destroyed his own city, Jerusalem. And now he told you not to run to Egypt, and you run to Egypt, and then you say, we will not listen. So verse 17, instead, we will be faithful to our false gods. Because we were back in Jerusalem, we worshiped false gods, and we had plenty of food, and we prospered, and we saw no disaster. What a delusion. They're absolutely wrong. That wasn't the story back in Jerusalem. Where did you get that from? Verse 18, but ever since we stopped worshiping false gods, you know, the queen of heaven, we got nothing, we got the sword, we got starvation. They're believing lies. Verse 19, the women said, basically, we stand with our husbands in worshiping the gods of Egypt and the queen of heaven by continuing to make food and drinks for these parties. So that's the first point of our sermon. Some people never listen. It's a warning to us. You and I come from the same line of people. Because even before these people, we come from the same line all the way back to the first people. All the way back to Adam and Eve, we have had this problem that we will not listen to God and his word. Adam and Eve received message from God, warning, don't eat of this tree. But Adam and Eve would not listen to God, and they would not learn. So they ate of the tree and were punished. They were kicked out. They fell broke their relationship with God. Then outside of the garden, God said to their offspring, what not to do, what to do, and the sons and daughters of Adam wouldn't listen to God, would not learn, fast forward, fast forward. All through world history, it's the repeated story. We never learn. We won't listen. We are in that desperate condition in Adam. We need a new Adam. We need a savior. It's not just like, hey, you better do, do better this week. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jeremiah is preaching. That's not what the Bible tells us. That's not the solution because it doesn't work. You really think you're better than the people we're reading about here? You're in the same soup. You're in the same condition. We do not listen. We need a Savior. The new Adam who will listen to God and obey and heed God, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, in order to be brought from death to life and us with him. Romans 5.19 says, By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Romans 5.19. Let me try to explain this. The first man, Adam, was like the bus driver of humanity. Driving down the road near this cliff. He sees a warning sign that says, Don't drive this way. And he doesn't listen to the warning. He veers the bus off the cliff, and we all die in the bus at the bottom of the ravine. That's the illustration of what we're talking about here. God sends a new bus driver, the second Adam. His name is Jesus Christ. He finds us at the bottom of the ravine, and everyone's already dead. Who needs a bus driver when you're dead? But he takes Adam's disobedience upon himself, our disobedience that followed upon himself, dies at the cross, you could say at the bottom of the ravine, Third day, he rose again. Now we have a resurrected bus driver. 
He gives resurrection and new life to all of us, chosen people of God who were dead in the bus of Adam at the bottom of the ravine. We're brought to life. We are rescued up out of the ravine, back onto the road, put into the bus of Jesus, the second Adam, the new Adam, and he drives us in the new bus all the way to heaven. If that helps you, that illustration, this is significant for how to interpret the Old Testament. We get into heaven despite Adam's disobedient driving, Because Jesus was obedient in dying, obedient in living, obedient in leading us, driving our bus. Our desperate condition of being dead in sins, just like these people who would not listen, dead in Adam's bus, becomes our glorious condition of being alive in righteousness and alive in Christ's bus, in his church, if you will. By faith in Christ, we're given a safe seat with our ticket vindicated, validated, and we go all the way to heaven on our bus, rejoicing and living obedience to our wonderful Savior, Jesus. That's the good news of the Bible. That's the covenant of God. That's the new covenant. Listen carefully for the two drivers, the two buses. I'll read two verses more out of Romans 5. Romans five seventeen. Since because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And this is Romans 5.21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's not fair. I was just a passenger in your bus. To follow your illustration, I'm a passenger in the bus. Adam's the guy who's to blame. He drove the bus off the cliff. He would not listen to the warning. I'm just a passenger. He drove off the cliff and killed me, so my death is not my fault. The rescue of Jesus is the least that God could do because I was just an innocent passenger. Are you going to stick with that story? An innocent passenger. Is that your view of yourself, because if you're thinking this whole scene isn't fair, the whole bus illustration, that's why you think it's not fair, because you think you're innocent. Let me show you yourself in Adam's bus. Adam's driving, we'll go back to that scene, he's driving, and he sees the sign that says, don't drive this way, and he says, I think I want to drive this way anyway. And he shouts back to all of us in the bus, he says, I want to drive off the cliff, who's with me? And you hear your own voice say, yeah, I'm with you, let's do it. And you start, go, 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 go. And we're all cheering for Adam to drive our bus off the cliff. And you don't believe me? You're thinking, preacher, I would never. I would never. That's silly. That's foolish. I would never. What's worse than that? It's worse than you dare believe your condition. Let's say you dismiss Adam. You're not sure if he's going to do this correctly. So you say, Adam, just let me drive. So you take the the seat as the federal head of all humanity. You drive the humanity bus. Okay, it's you. And in that seat, at the moment when you see the sign, you either go off the cliff or stay on the road, you do the same thing you did last Tuesday. You know, last Tuesday, when you were given this choice, do I follow what God says or do I do what I feel? like doing. And in that moment, you show what you are. You're not an innocent passenger. You wouldn't be the innocent driver. You said last Tuesday, 
I think I want to do this. And God says, don't do it. Don't you sin. But you chose to do it anyway. So if you're driving the bus of humanity, you do the same thing Adam did. You do the same thing any one of us did. You would choose the wrong. You wouldn't listen to God's warning. Some people never listen is point one, and that's you. That's me. We need a rescuer. We're in a desperate condition, and God shows mercy persistently, faithfully. Our second point, yet another call to listen. Verse 20, Jeremiah, the spokesperson for God, gives the answer to the men and women who want to keep making party cakes and party drinks for the party of the false god of the queen of heaven. Anything but the true God. Verse 21 is the answer. The Lord remembered your offerings back in Jerusalem. You've seen this show before. They used to make cakes for the queen of heaven back in Jerusalem. It was in his temple sermon in chapter 7. God was just and fair to condemn them like he's just and fair to condemn us to death in the bus of Adam. Verse 23, it's because you made offerings and sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord that this disaster has happened to you. Verse 24, wait for it, wait for it. What does God say? God says through Jeremiah, hear the word of the Lord. Hear, listen, obey, hear. Yet another call. All you who are from Judah in the land of Egypt, I told you not to leave Judah, I told you not to come to Egypt, but I've got a message for you. Hear the word of God. Yet even now, repent and turn. Come to God. God came to the bottom of the ravine where we had ignored the warning, driven off the cliff, chanting, and crashed the bus and died. What does God say? We hear the echo of Jeremiah from another prophet, Ezekiel. Maybe you remember Ezekiel chapter 37. And the Lord God said to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. You got all, all you got at the bottom of the ravine is a, a valley of dead bones in the bus. And he says, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Say a lot of good that does. It's God speaking. If he can create life in the first place, he can resurrect life. And if he says to dead bones, hear the word of God, he can cause them to be alive. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 37, 3 through 6 sounds just like Jeremiah 44. You don't believe in the Lord God. You don't believe that God is God. That's the issue for us. Yet another call to listen to him who is God and what he could do. Our third point, those who listen will know whose word will stand. You say, well, that could never work. They're dead already. Okay, that's your story. You're going to stick to that. And God says it can work and it does work and he's going to cause life to happen. So we'll see which one's correct. That's where our third point is. Verse 25, he says, you want to make special cakes? You want to make special drinks? You want to worship the gods of Egypt, the queen of heaven? Okay, go ahead. Verse 26, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I've sworn by my great name that my name shall no longer be invoked by you. Your mouths are not allowed to say my name then. If you're going to worship false God, go for it. Let's see how that works out for you, but don't use my name. Verse 27, he says, I'm watching over you for disaster. Verse 28, a few will escape. What about those who escape? A few that God calls the remnant. We could call them the remnant of the remnant. (laughs) Shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. You're putting God's word against your word. God says, fine. Challenge accepted. 
Let's see whose word comes true. Verse 29, I'll punish you right where you are in Egypt. Verse 30, I will give the king of Egypt into the hand of his enemies. And that's your sign. As soon as you see the king of Egypt go down, and not from old age, you'll know that I'm coming after you. That's your sign. Just like it was back in the land of Judah, where I struck down the king of Judah in Jerusalem to his enemies. Watch for the sign. It's coming. The great judgment of God. So as we back up from the chapter we've just covered, what do we see in the broader scene? We see two groups of people. The exiles over in Babylon and the runaways in Egypt. The exiles over in Babylon are those who listened to God's word, accepted his response to their sin, and a pathway out of sin and idolatry. You go to exile, and 70 years later, you're restored. It's the way of the cross, the way of life. Death to sin and the time in exile is the way to resurrection life. The life of the believer is the life of suffering. The Lord is enough for us in our suffering. And we're on that pathway home, the pathway to the good land, the pathway to heaven. That's those who are exiles in Babylon. But the different group is those who are the disobedient runaways over in Egypt who reject God's word, who will not listen to God's commands to stay in the land. They turn to different gods and idolatry, breaking the first commandment. They trust in the strength and security of Egypt for them to protect them. And this world's powers, instead of trusting the Lord to be enough to protect them, they crave the feelings of security against threats. Their security is all false. And they were, as Ephesians 2.12 says, without hope and without God in the world. They're unbelievers on their way to the final judgment of God. They're on their pathway to perdition and judgment. It was not that their sins were geographical. It's not as simple as that. It wasn't that Egypt was a forbidden area. Later, in fact, Jesus himself and Mary and Joseph went to Egypt. And after that, Egypt became a center of learning for Christianity. Their sin wasn't geographical. Their sin was spiritual. Their sin was thinking that God is not enough to protect them if they stay in the land, so they have to go away to the strength of Egypt. Believing that God is not enough is the sin. Thinking this world is our home is the sin. They didn't listen to God, and that's their sin. You know why Jesus came? Because we wouldn't listen. Listen to him say it in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. We need not only a new bus driver, not only a new Adam, we need not only a savior who will come and make us better people, we need one who will take us who are dead in our sins and through his resurrection make us alive by his resurrection. We need that much rescue. We don't even belong in this world. We are not of this world. So I have four applications and points to us. Number one, don't underestimate the severity of God's displeasure with sin. Jeremiah 44 teaches us the severe and stern words of God for the wrongs of man, the sin of man. God is holy. He carries judgment. Jesus confirmed that we ought to be learning this like they should have learned from Jerusalem falling before they went to Egypt. Jesus says similarly in Luke 23, he's being taken to the very place of crucifixion. The crowds are mourning for him and lamenting for Jesus. And he said basically the same thing Jeremiah 44 says. If God did this in Jerusalem, what would he do in the cities of Egypt? 
Listen to the words of Jesus, uh, Luke 23, 31. If they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Do you know what that means? Jesus is the green wood. And yet he's taken to the cross. The cross teaches us God's extreme displeasure with our sin. Jesus, who's innocent, Jesus is the green wood. Had our sins placed upon himself, though he's the innocent child of God, when our sins are upon him, he receives the full wrath of God unto crucifixion and death as a just punishment for our sins. And he's the green wood. You know what we are? We're dry wood. Been sitting out in the sun for a long time. It's the sinners who will not turn to Jesus. What would happen to us, the guilty ones, if our sins remained on us? John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. The dry wood. We will get burned up in the wrath of God. Don't underestimate the severity of God's displeasure with our sins. Number two, disasters that we encounter are intended to bring us back to God. Throughout this chapter, the Lord keeps pointing them back to the disaster of Jerusalem, the disaster of Jerusalem, and tells them to learn something from it. What should they learn from the disaster in Jerusalem? Run to God, repent of your sins, listen to God, and turn to him. So the lesson is clear through the generations of God's people that any time we have a disaster or a difficulty, it can be safely interpreted that we need to draw near to God. It's either our sins or the sins of others or the sins of Adam. We live in a messed up place. And when disasters come, we draw near to God. James 4, 8, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. All disasters are intended to bring us back to God. Number three, accept that walking with Christ includes suffering. For sure. And does not guarantee health and wealth. Walking with God includes suffering for sure and does not guarantee health and wealth. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, remember? Partially because of his own suffering. Things like this. We're not even told what happened to him. Some think he died in Egypt. The question from Job is the question here. Job 1.9, does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, if you give Job goodies, he's going to trust in you. Take away his goodies, he has no need for you. Does he trust God for no reason? Life was good for Job. If God removes the good things, would Job still fear God? We're told that two of the disciples of Jesus wanted privileges. Were they following Jesus just for the privileges? Places of power and influence on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? They sent their mother to ask Jesus for that. In the kingdom of God, could we have the seat on your right and on your left? How they completely misunderstood the kingdom of God. Walking with Jesus includes suffering for sure and does not guarantee health and wealth or privilege or position. But listen to how Jesus corrected them in John 16, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We need to accept that walking with Jesus includes suffering. Another disciple of Jesus, James, Later wrote it clearly in James 1-2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. Peter wrote about suffering. 1 Peter 4-12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Accept that walking with Christ includes suffering for sure. 
and does not guarantee health and wealth. And our last and fourth point, the future of the church is with those who listen to God and his word and obey. The future of the church is not with those who turn from God to security provided by the Egypts of the world. The making of cakes to the queen of heaven so that people can gather and have something other than God. John warned in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 15-17. We don't live like runaways to Egypt. Instead, we live like those exiles in Babylon. We believe the Lord is enough for today for our problems. We live with true contentment here. We accept the suffering that he brings. We understand that we live in a world in which we reap what we sow and there are consequences for sin. We receive God's grace in order to get through today and get through this world. Our future is certain because we know who holds the future. Just like the exiles were promised restoration after 70 years, we are promised the entrance into God's glory after these years. All of the covenant blessings he listed out in chapters 31 and 32 and 33 belong to us because God belongs to us and we belong to him. We have a new covenant in Christ Jesus. We have God's love, his favor, his blessing, God's forgiveness, God's protections, his presence, his peace. We have his word and we treasure it. We open our ears and open our hearts and listen to God's word. 1 Peter 1.21, our faith and hope are in God. So the future of the church is with those who trust and obey. Let's pray.